You're listening to the Mens Rea Podcast, and this is the story of Julia O'Brien. of Christmas Eve 1995, an argument broke out at a family home in High Street, League in West Cork. Early reports were that neighbours rang Gardee just after half past four that morning, and when they arrived on the scene, 46-year-old Julia O'Brien was found dead in her home, having suffered a number of stab wounds. Julia was a tall, slim and good-looking woman, with one reporter noting that she had been known locally as the Lady in Red. Her husband was Joe O'Brien. He was a stonemason employed at a local Monumental Works making headstones. Together, the couple had five children, four sons and one daughter, all aged between 18 and 23. According to Jody Corcoran, writing for the Sunday Independent, the incident in Julia's High Street home had occurred after she had been out in the pub that night, the 23rd of December. It was also revealed that Julia had a problem with alcohol and was often found in one or other of the village's pubs, a problem that the family had struggled to deal with and that was widely known in the small community. In Corcoran's reporting, the timeline of events had Julia's daughter, 18-year-old Miriam, returning home at around 5am, having been at a dance in Dunmanway, to find her mother lying face down on the sitting room floor, obviously gravely injured. Finding her mother in such a state, Miriam had ran from her home, screaming, and to a neighbour's house. Soon after, a doctor, a priest and the guardie all arrived on the scene. Miriam was the youngest of the children and was repeating her leaving certificate that year. Word spread quickly in the small town that something awful had happened on Christmas Eve morning in the O'Brien house. Gardee from the larger town of Bantry had arrived at the O'Brien home at 5am that morning and later Mrs O'Brien's body was removed from the scene for post-mortem. Papers reported that two youths were arrested near the scene and were questioned at the local station for six hours before being released. They were believed to be related to Mrs. O'Brien. Gardee began preparing a file for the DPP. In its coverage of Julia's death, the Evening Herald stated that Julia had died in what was described as, quote, a family incident, and that Gardee had not been called for a number of hours after she had received her fatal injuries. It seems that by the time the alarm was raised, Julia had been dead for some time. The paper also reported that weapons had not been used, but that the injuries Julia had sustained were substantial. When she had been found, Julia was covered in blood. It appeared that she had been beaten to death, that she had been hit and kicked, and later it would emerge that Julia's head was badly injured and she had six fractured ribs. Julia O'Brien's funeral was held in the local church in Drumalig. Her coffin was carried by members of her family. Joe O'Brien led the mourners and was present there with all of their children, Michael, Liam, Kieran, Noel and Miriam. Julia's troubles in her life were at the forefront in the ceremony marking her death. 
it was noted that her family had been good to her and took care of her as her alcoholism worsened. A local man said, quote, There is a lot of sympathy here for her husband and children. They are decent people. And from the pulpit, the parish priest, Father O'Mahony, asked the congregation not to pass judgment on Julia for her troubles. In September of 1996, nearly eight months after Julia's death, two of her sons, 20-year-old Kiron and 19-year-old Noel, were charged at Skibbereen District Court with the murder of their mother. Both were later released on bail. Then, on Thursday the 9th of August 1996, Julia's husband, 47-year-old Joseph O'Brien, appeared before a special sitting of the District Court in Bantry. At 6pm that evening, Mr O'Brien appeared before Judge Terence Flynn and was charged with the murder of Julia O'Brien as well as unlawful killing and common assault. Garda Bart O'Leary gave evidence of arrest and charging and Mr O'Brien sat silently, listening alongside his family who were present in court at the short proceedings. Nearly a year and a half later, on Monday the 12th of January 1998, Joe O'Brien and his sons Kieran and Noel appeared before Mr Justice John Quirk at the Central Criminal Court in Dublin to face trial for the murder of Julia O'Brien. They all pleaded not guilty to the charges of murder, as well as to manslaughter and charges of assault, occasioning actual bodily harm. A jury of eight men and four women were sworn in to hear the case, but were shortly thereafter sent home, as legal matters had arisen that had to be dealt with outside of their presence in the courtroom. The jury members were told to return to court the following morning, when evidence in the trial would begin to be heard. However, the legal argument continued into the following day. Mr Justice Quirk recalled the jury on Wednesday morning, but one juror was missing. It took some time to locate the jury member, and when the court service did, they were told that the person was now, quote, indisposed. Mr Justice Quirk was also notified that another juror had informed the court service that they had epilepsy, and with that, the judge discharged the jury altogether and testily issued an order for the absent juror to present themselves before the court the next day the trial of the three O'Brien family members would have to be begun again at a later date. And so it was that Joe, Kieran and Noel O'Brien were back before the Central Criminal Court on Monday the 2nd of November 1998. Again, they all entered not guilty pleas to the charges against them. The opening statement for the prosecution was given by Ralph Sutton, senior counsel, who told the court that the case involved a violent and tragic incident driven in part by the consumption of alcohol by the parties involved. Mr Sutton said that the jury would hear that, quote, the unfortunate deceased had a fair amount of drink taken and was not unaccustomed at times to taking drink, delicately implying to the court Julia's struggles with alcoholism. The three accused men had also been drinking on the night of Julia's death and Mr Sutton argued that though this helped to explain what had happened, it did not excuse it. The prosecutor then outlined that during the post-mortem it was discovered Julia had died from numerous blows to her body and strangulation. The jury were further told that, in addition to the charges of murder, there were also alternative charges against the three defendants that the jury could consider, manslaughter, occasioning actual bodily harm and common assault. Evidence began quickly that day and the court heard from Liam O'Brien, the second eldest in the O'Brien family. 
Liam testified that he had found his mother at around 3am, lying prone on the living room floor after returning from a disco in Skibbereen. He recalled that Julia's head was resting on the couch and turned to the side. The witness said that he had left his home at about 6pm the evening before, and at that time his mother had been, quote, demented drunk. Liam told the court that there was no point in staying in with her in that state. On his return and finding his mother on the floor, Liam saw some marks on her face and went upstairs to speak to his brothers and find out what had happened. He was told that there had been a fight. His mother had apparently thrown soup at one of the boys and she had been pushed after that. Liam said he had had a fight with Noel on hearing this and during the course of this, he had hit his brother more than once. After this fight, Liam had gone back downstairs to check on his mother again. He told the court that he thought he had heard a faint groan from her as he tried to get her up and put her to bed. But he had given up his efforts to move Julia at the kitchen door, given the difficulty of the task, and decided to just go on up to bed himself. Liam explained to the jury that he tried not to be in the house when his mother was drunk because she fought with everybody and that she called his brother Noel names on occasions, saying he was stupid and using the slur retarded. Liam's testimony indicated that it seemed Julia had singled out Noel in this regard. While on the stand, Liam also recalled that on the day of her death, his mother had been given money to get the shop in for Christmas, but instead Julia had spent it all on drink. Liam told Patrick Gageby, who was defending his brother Kieran O'Brien, that his mother often drank one to two bottles of whiskey a day. After this, a neighbour, Paddy O'Driscoll, testified that he had seen Julia in a local pub at about half past ten on the 23rd of December. Mr O'Driscoll said, quote, she seemed to be pretty well drunk. During his cross-examination by Kieran O'Loughlin, senior counsel for Noel O'Brien, the witness agreed that the whole town had known about Julia O'Brien's drinking problem, probably for the previous four or five years. At around 4am on the morning of Christmas Eve 1995, Mr O'Driscoll said he had gone into the O'Brien home and saw Julia lying on the floor. Her head was facing him as he came in and her legs were bent underneath her. Paddy had gone over to tend to her and found that her face was cold and she had no pulse. Mr. O'Driscoll had seen blood in her nose. After this, he had left the house and gone to ring an ambulance. After speaking with them, he was put through to the guards. During cross from Michael McMahon, senior counsel for Joseph O'Brien, Mr. O'Driscoll agreed that Joe O'Brien would often answer the door to people from the town, returning Julia home after drinking too much. The witness said Mr. O'Brien would make excuses for his wife and, quote, paid her bills around the town. The next witness to the stand was the youngest of Joe and Julia's children, Miriam O'Brien. She told the court that her mother was, quote, very violent and abusive when she was drunk, and as an example described how most of the ornaments that they'd had in their house were broken because when Julia was drinking she'd get angry and just throw whatever she found next to her. Miriam disclosed that for the same reason, before she went to bed at night, she would check to make sure that the knives and scissors in the house were all put away, otherwise they would be in easy reach for her mother if she got mad. Miss O'Brien also outlined that she had kept a diary throughout 1994 and had put a star at the bottom of the page each day that her mother was drinking. 
That year had 177 starred pages. She had given up the habit in 1995 because there were just too many stars. It was depressing. Miriam testified that when her mother was drunk, Julia would call her ugly and stupid, and Julia had been drinking more and more often and getting more abusive in the years before her death. Miriam said, quote, She was always trying to put me down, and would say Miriam wasn't her daughter because Miriam was too ugly. According to the young woman, Julia's treatment of her brother Noel had been very similar, and this was particularly upsetting to her as Noel was, quote, very vulnerable and kind of soft. On the stand, it was also noted that in August of 1994, Miriam had attempted to kill herself because she'd found out that her mother was having affairs and it had upset her. Next to the stand was the eldest in the family, Michael O'Brien. Michael testified that he had moved out of the family home a couple of months before his mother's death. He hadn't wanted to stay there any longer and commented, quote, Every chance I ever had to leave the house, I always did. Like Miriam and Liam before him, Michael said his mother's abusive behaviour was particularly bad when it came to Noel and said she was vindictive when it came to him. Michael told the jury that Julia had been like two mothers, a drunken, abusive woman and a nice one when she was sober. Michael had found out about his mother's death at about 5am on the morning of Christmas Eve. He had been told that she had thrown soup at Noel, which had sparked a row and, quote, that was it. The following day, the court heard from a number of the O'Brien family's neighbours. Michael O'Leary said he had heard noises coming from the O'Brien's house at about 1am on Christmas Eve. When asked how long the noise had gone on for, he flippantly remarked, about 17 years. His wife, Mary O'Leary, also testified and told David Goldberg, BL, appearing for Noel O'Brien, that she had not been shocked or surprised by the noise from the O'Brien's house that night. Mary was aware that Julia O'Brien had had a serious alcohol problem, but also said she had never seen Julia being aggressive when drunk. Elizabeth McCarthy testified that she had heard banging coming from the O'Brien house on the night of the 23rd and 24th of December 1995. At about a quarter past one in the middle of the night, Elizabeth had heard raised voices and a cry. She said she thought it was Julia and continued, quote, it was a soft cry, a kind of emotional cry. Mrs. McCarthy said that Julia had called into her house on the night of the 23rd at about 20 past 11. Julia had shown her some presents she had got from her sons Noel and Kieran, and said she would call around to the McCarthy home the next day with some mince pies. Mary noticed that Julia was walking unsteadily as she made her way over to her own house. Elizabeth also explained to the court that Noel O'Brien, quote, practically lived with us because of his mother's problem with alcohol. She'd even tried herself to get Julia help for her alcoholism, but the local doctor had told her nothing could be done unless Julia herself admitted that she had a problem. Yet another neighbour, Mary O'Driscoll, had also tried to get help for Julia. She'd seen Julia O'Brien so drunk that Julia had fallen over and had observed injuries Julia had on her face from various accidents, but Mrs. O'Brien would not accept help. Mary O'Driscoll had even tried to contact social workers on the O'Brien family's behalf to get them some assistance, but nothing came of it. She said, quote, I would have loved to have seen her getting help. The witness had also seen the effects of Julia's drink problem on other members of the O'Brien family. Mrs. O'Driscoll testified that she had confronted Julia after Miriam took an overdose of tablets in 1994, 
but said that Julia had denied having a problem with drink and said Miriam was just bored and looking for attention. Mrs. O'Driscoll had been fairly involved with the O'Brien kids and had fed them on occasion to help out, but Mary said they were proud children and didn't really talk about the trouble going on in their home. Quote, they loved their mother so much, they did love her. Claire, Mrs. O'Driscoll's daughter, was also called to give evidence and told the court that she had once seen Miriam O'Brien with a black eye, and when she'd asked the teen about it, Miriam had said that her mother had done it. After hearing from community members closest to the O'Brien family, evidence was heard from a number of other locals. They had all been in the pubs in League and had seen Julia O'Brien or other members of the family out and about on the 23rd of December 1995. Connie O'Driscoll had seen Julia as she left Casey's Inn at about half past ten, and as she left, Mr. O'Driscoll recalled that Julia had told him that she had a pain in her chest. A barman at Casey's Inn, John Howard, said that Julia had had a couple of whiskies, which was normal for her. The owner of that bar, Donald Casey, told the court that he had often seen Julia a lot worse than she had been that night. The owner of Keeley's pub, Mr. Mark Keeley, had seen Noel O'Brien that night in the pub and recalled that Noel had been in good form. Mr. Keeley said it was his understanding that Noel had had a few pints before he came into the pub. Joe O'Brien had also come into the pub at around 11pm that night and had about four pints before he left. After this, Assistant State Pathologist Dr. Margaret Bolster took to the stand to give evidence relating to her involvement in the investigation. Dr. Bolster told the court that she had called to the scene before performing the autopsy and, while there, had noted blood smears on bed linen in the master bedroom upstairs as well as an overturned lamp in the room. After performing the post-mortem, it was Dr. Bolster's conclusion that Julia O'Brien had died from strangulation. However, Julia also had a number of other injuries, including 18 cuts, bruises and abrasions to her head and neck. Six of her ribs had also been broken. Further, it had been noted that there was old bruising to Julia's left eye. The pathologist outlined that there were multiple areas of bruising to Julia's body consistent with blows and kicks, and even of stamping to her abdomen. But Dr. Bolster said that these couldn't have caused Julia's death alone. Nor could all of Julia's injuries be explained as marks from falls or self-inflicted injuries from acting aggressively while drunk. In addressing this suggestion, Dr. Bolster said in order to cause the kind of injuries she'd observed on Julia's ribs, for example, a person would have had to fall hundreds of times. Instead, Dr. Bolster said manual strangulation had been the ultimate cause of Julia's death. And she told the jury that it would have been necessary to use a moderate degree of force in order to cause Julia O'Brien's death in this way. The court also heard that test results showed that Julia had 310 milligrams of alcohol in her blood at the time of her death. Dr. Bolster explained that though this was high, it would have been unlikely to have had the same effect on Julia as it would have had on someone who did not habitually binge drink. The following day, Wednesday the 4th of November, Garda Desmond Prendergast described his interactions with the defendant, Joe O'Brien, after his wife Julia's death. The guard had been in the main bedroom of the O'Brien's house and was examining a bloodstained duvet, sheet and pillow when he was joined by Mr. O'Brien. Joe had told Garda Prendergast that he had worked hard all day on the 23rd and had a few pints before he went home that night. Joe had told him that he'd arrived in at around midnight and then gone up to bed. 
Mr. O'Brien then went on to say that he remembered Julia coming into their bedroom and there had been some commotion before this. She'd lay down on the bed but had then left again and there had been another commotion after this too. When asked about the bloodstains, Joe had told Garda Prendergast that he thought they might have been from an injury Julia had had a few days before her death. Garda John Lorden from Bantry Station gave evidence next. On seeing Julia when he called to the scene in High Street, Lorden said he and his fellow guards had formed the opinion, quote, that this woman had met with a violent death. Garda Lorden testified that on the night in question it was his impression that Joe O'Brien had smelt strongly of drink. The guard explained his assessment of Mr. O'Brien's level of intoxication by saying that Joe wasn't slurring his words, but if, for instance, he had pulled Joe over, driving in that state, the guard would have arrested him. It was Garda Lorden's evidence that Liam and Noel O'Brien also appeared drunk, and that Kieran had also been drinking but was not considered intoxicated. At one point, Garda Lorden said that Liam O'Brien had told Gardy that marks on Julia's face were from his mother falling. After hearing this evidence, the jury was then excused for a number of days for legal argument to take place. The trial resumed the following Wednesday, with Detective Inspector Morris Walsh taking to the stand. Detective Inspector Walsh told the court that when he arrived on the scene in High Street, he had noted that Noel O'Brien's knuckles on his right hand were inflamed. Noel had told the inspector that he had pushed Julia after she threw soup at him. He also admitted punching and kicking his mother, and said that his brother had banged Julia's head against the ground. Inspector Walsh said he had checked Noel's head for burn marks from the soup, but had seen nothing there. The court then heard about a signed statement from Noel in which he said he had come home around midnight and found his mother, quote, langers drunk, and argued with his mum. The fight had continued when Kieran came in and resulted in the soup being thrown. Not long after, he and Kieran had gone upstairs to bed. In another statement given to Gardy, Noel said that after he pushed Julia, he had gone and washed as he had soup on him and went back and hit Julia in the face with his closed fists two or three times. Then, the only local Garda from Drimmer League, Garda Michael McCarthy, recounted for the jury how he'd taken a signed statement from Kieran O'Brien. In this, Kieran had outlined having three pints that evening in three different pubs in the village and said he had returned home just after midnight. Kieran went on to describe the argument between his mother and Noel and said that after this he had gone to bed and was awakened by Liam at half three. Later, after he was arrested, Kieran had made a statement that he had caught his mother by the hair and banged her head off the ground twice. Kieran had told her to cop on and to go to bed, and he had kicked her. Later again, on the afternoon of his arrest, Kieran had told Gardy that he had squeezed his mother's neck, quote, until she let go. On Thursday, the 12th of November, Detective Garda James O'Reardon recounted his interview with Noel O'Brien at Bantry Garda Station on the 24th of December and brought the court through his memo of what Noel O'Brien had said. Noel had told interviewing Gardy that he recalled Kieran coming home and that the two had sat together giving out about their mum and how there was no food for Christmas. Noel had told the Garda that Julia had been given £180 for the shop and the brothers reckoned that there was only about £40 worth in the house. After this giving out, Kieran had gone upstairs and Noel said he didn't know what had happened there as he'd stayed in the kitchen. 
but about five minutes later, Noel said Kieran had come back down, followed by their mum. They were shouting and abusing one another. The argument continued and Noel recalled that he had said, quote, Mammy, I am sick of seeing you like this. And it was at that point Julia had thrown the soup. He'd cleaned up in the kitchen and then returned to the sitting room where he pushed his mother in the chest with both hands. Noel then told the guard a quote, I was in a temper at this stage and I lost the head. He said he had hit his mother three times in the face and kicked her in the thigh. Kieran had taken over then kicking Julia and when he stopped, Noel said he'd kicked his mother a number of times too. The statement continued that Noel saw Kieran grab Julia by the hair and bang her head off the ground. Describing the blows, Noel said, quote, they were good hard wallops. Kieran had then squeezed his mother's throat. Another Garda, Detective James Slattery, said that Noel had been very cooperative during the course of his time in the Garda station and that a lot more had been said in the interview than had been written down in the memo. Detective Slattery asserted that what had not been written down was not particularly relevant. Garda Bartholomew O'Leary had also interacted with Noel O'Brien at the station that day and said that he had had a general discussion with Noel before a statement was taken. During this conversation, Garda O'Leary said Noel, quote, more or less gave us the whole history, a sad history. Garda O'Leary confirmed that no notes were taken during this discussion and said this was because Gardi were to take a signed statement. On Friday the 13th of November, the court heard from Detective Sergeant John Healy, who had spoken with Joe O'Brien on the night of Julia's death and had taken a statement from him in the High Street home. Joe told Gardi that Julia had been a, quote, outstanding wife until about two years before. Joe said she had done all the cooking and knitting and sewing, but since had taken to the drink and circumstances changed. Joe said Julia was abusive when she drank, but he had never hit her. He said she would often argue with the kids too. Joe's statement outlined that he had gotten in at around midnight after being in Keeley's pub. He said Julia wasn't yet in at that time. However, Sergeant Healy said that Gardy had spoken to witnesses who put Joe out later than 12, as well as a witness statement that indicated Julia had been home before him. Joe was arrested later on the 3rd of January and was brought to Bantry Garda Station, where he gave another statement. During this interview, Joe had initially stuck to his original story, but then admitted that Julia was in before him. But Joe O'Brien's defence team was contesting the contents of this statement, particularly the portion where Joe O'Brien was alleged to have said, quote, I also wished to change that there were rows and I never hit her. She would drive you to hitting her. I had to give her the odd slap. I'd used the open hand and brought no blood. This contested statement also included details of arguments the couple had had in relation to affairs Joe suspected Julia had had with two local men. He was alleged to have said, quote, I often accused her of being a whore, but not on the night she died. It was one of these affairs that caused most of the rows where slaps were thrown. In the version of events outlined in this second statement, Joe had come home and Kieran and Noel were inside and annoyed that Julia had been drinking. Joe had then gone upstairs and began arguing with Julia and she had pushed him and he had pushed her back hard into the bedside locker and she had hit her head off it. Then Kieran had come upstairs and had also pushed Julia and there were slaps and shouts back and forth. Ten minutes later, Julia went downstairs and when Joe followed a few minutes later, he found his sons Kieran and Noel kicking and punching Julia. 
This alleged statement of Joe's said he had tried to get Julia back upstairs, but she'd cursed at him, and in reaction, he'd shoved her, and Julia had fallen backwards, possibly hitting her head off a chair. Then he'd left her there, and the boys continued their physical fight with their mother, with Joe alleged to have said, quote, they must have given her an unmerciful thumping after I went up the stairs. Sometime later, Joe was woken up and told Julia was dead. When he went downstairs and saw her, he said he had thought she was in the same position that he had left her in when he went up to bed. The statement also alleged that Kieran and Noel had told him that they would take responsibility for what had happened. Detective Sergeant Healy told the court that he did not agree with the suggestion that Joe O'Brien was a, quote, hapless individual, or that Mr. O'Brien had simply agreed with anything that the guardie had put to him. It was the defence's position that Gardie had effectively led Joe O'Brien into making a confession, and that this was apparent in the Garda statement, which used language and constructions that were common in Garda statements and descriptions of events. Sergeant Healy asserted that he'd found Mr. O'Brien to be a quiet man, but he had wanted to make the statement and had carried through with this. On Monday the 16th of November, as the trial entered its third week, a psychiatrist, Dr. David Dunn, was called by Joe O'Brien's defence team. Mr. Justice Quirk told the court that the prosecution's case was not yet complete, but this evidence would be heard to facilitate the experts' schedules. Dr. Dunn had examined Joe in February of 1997, September of 1998, and Monday the 9th of November, just the week before. The director of services for the Southern Health Board said that he had found that Joe O'Brien was at the lower end of the scale in terms of intelligence, and that he did not tolerate anxiety. Because of this, Joe O'Brien would avoid anything likely to cause him anxiety and had told the doctor in one session that the troubles with Julia had started just two years before her death and then shortly after said that things had actually started to go bad 17 years before, after she was treated for breast cancer. Dr. Dunn was of the opinion that Mr. O'Brien would have been very anxious in circumstances where he was giving a statement to police in a Garda station. During his own interview with Joe, he had had to dig for information and had to suggest things to him. The psychiatrist agreed with prosecution counsel that Joe had been able to give some detail in his answers to questions and that he had no issues with his memory. A psychologist, Martin Philpott, told the court that Joe O'Brien had a reading age of a 10 or 11-year-old. Joe had also disclosed that he drank seven or more pints a number of times a week, if not every day, and often drank much, much more than that at the weekends. Dr. Dunn also gave evidence in relation to examinations of Noel O'Brien and said that the teen was, quote, slightly duller than his father. The psychologist, Mr. Philpott, had agreed with this assessment and said that Noel had poor mental ability. As an example, Mr. Philpott proffered that Noel couldn't even spell the name of the factory that he worked in. However, Mr. Sutton, for the prosecution, then asked Mr. Philpott to spell the name of the factory, and Mr. Philpott had to admit that he didn't know how it was spelt either. The next day, Patrick Gageby called his client Kieran O'Brien to the stand. Kieran said that on the 23rd of December, he had been in work for about 13 hours and afterwards had gone to a pub where he had about eight pints. He got home at half twelve and found his brother Noel asleep downstairs. 
Kieran said at this time his mother and father were upstairs in their bedroom. Kieran told the court that he'd then gone to the fridge to look for food but didn't find anything. That situation was not unusual, but his mother had promised not to drink that Christmas and to bring home food for the holiday, so he was disappointed and annoyed when he saw this. He knew Julia had been given money to take care of it and so went upstairs to confront her about it. An argument began then, the accused said, and he and his mother were cursing at each other. Julia said he could go and buy food himself. Then Kieran admitted that he had hit his mother three or four times. He said he'd never done anything like that before, and when he left the room, Kieran said he felt bad about it. Kieran told the court he'd gone to his room, undressed, and went to bed. The next thing he knew, Noel was in his room with his face covered in soup and he was roaring and shouting, saying their mother had thrown it over them. Noel had gone back downstairs and Kieran got up and followed him. The fight with their mother continued and there was more shouting. Kieran told the jury that Noel had pushed Julia and she fell. She'd got up and kept shouting and Noel hit her on the face and head and then had kicked her. Kieran said he had intervened and pulled Noel off their mum and told him to stop, but then Julia had caught him by the leg with both hands. He told the court he kicked her with his other leg a few times. Kieran made a point to tell the court that at the time he was wearing only his boxers and had no shoes on. After this, Kieran recalled that he'd caught Julia by the throat and shook her, telling her to stop drinking, to go to bed and to cop on. During his testimony, Kieran agreed with his counsel, Mr Gageby, that in the course of the altercation that night, he had also hit his mother's head off the ground two or three times. Gageby asked what had caused him to lose control and Kieran said he had had a long day's work and had not had much sleep and he'd found out his mother had broken her promise not to drink. Kieran said, quote, it was the whole lot together. After this, Kieran's boss at the supermarket in the village, Mr. Collins, said Kieran had been working as a manager at the shop up until the trial and that the young man was more like family than an employee. Mr. Collins told the court that Kieran was close with his entire family and, through tears, said that he would trust Kieran with his life. Such was his esteem for the young man, Mr. Collins had planned to open a second store and have Kieran run it. That witness's wife, Anne Collins, testified that she found Kieran to be thoughtful and kind. And with that, the case against the three men concluded and the jury filed out in order for the defence teams to make applications to the court. When the jury members resumed their seats, Mr Justice Quirk informed them that they were directed to find Mr Joseph O'Brien not guilty in relation to the charge of murder against him, as there was insufficient evidence to support it. However, the jury still had to consider the charges of manslaughter, assault and actual bodily harm against him. Closing speeches began on the afternoon of Wednesday the 18th of November. Ralph Sutton for the prosecution stood and said that Noel and Kieran O'Brien had given their mother an awful battering and should be found guilty of murder, and Joseph O'Brien should be found guilty of manslaughter due to his criminal neglect. Mr Sutton argued that while strangulation had been the ultimate cause of Julia's death, the beating she had sustained was also severe and the sons had acted together that night. They had both intended to teach Julia a lesson and in that regard had acted in concert with one another. The issue of provocation, as raised by Noel O'Brien and his lawyers, should be disregarded, as Mr Sutton asserted that in the circumstances, throwing soup and cursing was not sufficient to have prompted a response of killing. 
Further, Mr Sutton said that Kieran O'Brien had altered his Garda statements to say that at the time of the altercation with his mother, he wasn't dressed and had not been wearing shoes when he kicked his mother. The only reason to do this would have been in order to try and lessen his responsibility, indicating that Kieran knew himself that his actions that night had contributed to Julia's death. In relation to Joseph O'Brien, Mr Sutton contended that he had also argued with Julia that night and had struck her. Joe had then witnessed his son's attack on her and simply left without doing anything to help her. Mr O'Brien had admitted he continued to hear a quote rumpus for some time after he went to bed. It was the prosecution's case that Joe O'Brien had a duty of care for his wife's life that he'd had a positive obligation to intervene in the altercation in his home to protect Julia. If he had, Mr Sutton said, this might have saved Julia's life that night. Joe's negligence in failing to act, his callous disregard for Julia's life, was to such a degree that the jury should find him guilty of manslaughter. The next day, closing statements for the defence began. Patrick Gageby, appearing on behalf of Kieran, said that the only issue the jury had to decide was whether or not Kieran had intended to kill his mother. Gageby asserted that Kieran had been provoked that night by his mother Julia, such that he, quote, literally blew his top. In those moments, Kieran had finally lost control after acting as a buffer between his parents and a buffer between his mother and the other kids. Patrick Gageby told the jury that Kieran was simply a product of his family situation and that that night, quote, the volcano erupted. David Goldberg, acting for Noel O'Brien, reiterated that the jury were to consider the verdicts for the three men separately. The state's case seemed to concede that Noel had not killed his mother, he had not strangled her, and so the jury must be convinced that he had acted in common design with his brother in order to find murder. Mr. Goldberg said there was no actual evidence of this common design presented and the jury should therefore find Noel not guilty of the murder of his mother. Lastly, Michael Mahon, senior counsel for Joe O'Brien, said that his client's statement to Gardy was unreliable and that the jury should place no weight on it whatsoever. It was, quote, full of Garda speak. He asserted that Mr. O'Brien should be acquitted on all charges and though the lawyer admitted that the jury might find there was evidence of assault against his client, Mr Mahan said it would be petty to have brought Joe all the way to the Central Criminal Court on such a charge. Mr Justice Quirk then gave his instructions to the jury, during which the judge addressed the issue of a duty of care owed between spouses. Joe O'Brien's lawyers argued that no such duty existed, but the judge disagreed and said such a duty did exist, even in cases that involved a, quote, flawed relationship between the couple. But the breach of this duty would have to be quite severe and, quote, so cruel as to be wholly reckless, to rise to the level of manslaughter. In the present instance, given these instructions, Mr. O'Brien would have had to have known that his wife was about to be killed or seriously injured to have breached the duty and therefore be guilty of manslaughter. That was what the jury needed to consider in relation to the charge against Joe. The jury of seven men and five women then retired to consider their verdicts for the three men. On Friday, the 20th of November, 1998, after three hours and 15 minutes of deliberation, they returned with their unanimous decisions. Joe O'Brien was cleared of all charges. 
Kieran O'Brien was found guilty of manslaughter and causing actual bodily harm, and the assault of his mother. Noel was found guilty of actual bodily harm and assault. Mr Justice Quirk addressed Joe O'Brien then and said he was free to go. Mr O'Brien gathered his things in the dock, stood and moved to a seat at the back of the court to hear the rest of the proceedings against his two sons. Kieran and Noel were both visibly upset and their other siblings present in the body of the court also openly wept. Sentencing for the brothers was deferred until December 15th when Noel and Kieran were brought before Mr Justice Quirk once again. Kieran was handed down a seven-year sentence for manslaughter, four years for actual bodily harm and 12 months for common assault. All of these terms were suspended. Mr Justice Quirk said he took into account the fact that Kieran had no previous convictions and that favourable things had been said about him by his employer, friends and neighbours. Noel was sentenced to four years for actual bodily harm and 12 months for common assault. Again, the terms were suspended. Judge Quirk said that Noel posed no threat to society and would not offend again. Mr Justice Quirk noted that it was the express wish of Julia O'Brien's family that the sentences handed down be suspended, and he had taken that request into account. He had heard from Julia's brother, Dan Toomey, who said that the family had spoken together with their own parents and they wanted Noel and Kieran to have a chance to visit Julia's grave and they wished non-custodial sentences would be imposed. The two brothers made their way to their mother's grave the following weekend. Thank you for listening to Mens Rea, a true crime podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at mensreapod or you can send an email to mensreapod at gmail.com. This podcast is made possible in part from generous donations by supporters on Patreon. Special thanks this week goes out to Chris Swain Randolph, Anne-Marie Hajix and KGM. If you'd like ad-free episodes or bonus content, nifty merch or my undying love, head on over to patreon.com forward slash mensreapod. And with thanks to our sponsors for this week's episode. Remember, supporting our sponsors supports this show, so check them out. Our theme music is Quinsong The Dance Begins by Kevin MacLeod. Additional music is by Juanita Meisel and Kevin MacLeod. This episode was researched, written and produced by me, your host Sinead. All sources for today's episode can be found in the show notes or on our website, www.mensreapod.com. And so, till next time, don't do anything I wouldn't do. The Evidence Locker is a true crime podcast that brings you cases from all the dark corners of the world. Armchair Sleuths can join me, your host, Noel Vinson, as I relay some of the most heinous crimes ever committed. If you are a true crime enthusiast, we've got you covered with cases both recent and historic from countries all around the world. From mysteries to heists, solved and unsolved murder cases, to stories about the miscarriage of justice, it's all there. With an archive of more than 170 episodes, make Evidence Locker your new binge. Subscribe to Evidence Locker today. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts.